I'm excited today to have a special guest, Samantha Lane with Origami Day. Just a little background. I saw Samantha five years ago give a couple presentations when Origami Day was really just getting started. But Samantha, before we talk about your business, I'd like to know more about you. How do you get to be who you are today and really what kind of started all this? That's a long question. So I guess I don't know where, how far back do we want to go, Bob? <laughs> Maybe when you realized that you needed to do something different. Yeah. Okay, great. So I guess it really started then in 2014 when I was diagnosed with a chest wall deformity that left my sternum sitting on my heart and made it difficult for me to breathe. And after lots of doctor's visits and advocating for my own health, I was diagnosed or re-diagnosed with a condition called pectus excavatum, and I was told that I was medically severely deformed, which is a distinction every young woman wants to be labeled with. And so the doctor said, hey, we should cut you open. It's your best shot to prevent further heart defects down the road and to be able to breathe better. So I underwent a surgery. I almost died, and I realized that life can be short, and time is our most precious gift, and it sent me down a road of changing everything and not being the workaholic that I previously been. And knowing you, your desire to do more, be more, contribute more is real. What was mm -hmm. the process you went through to get to what you thought was the right solution? I think I struggled because I've always been an ambitious person and we can go even beyond that to youth and adolescence and college. And frankly, like many other people, I thought that happiness came from hustle and that we were here to work and that is how we became happy. And so that's what I was doing. I was embracing the ambitious side of me and I was working my way up the ladder and trying to earn my way to joy. And so it was during that existential awakening that I realized that there was so much more to life. There were, there were many ways to find happiness and joy. And that even with a, especially with a natural ambitious personality, that I was at the most risk for burning out and not living my life in a way that helps me provide the highest level of contribution. So then I went down this journey. How do I spend the time where I know I want to spend the time, but also have a career. I joke all the time. I'm married for love. My husband is a fireman. So I sealed my fate to work forever. So with that, I realized for many of us, life is the priority, but work is still a necessity. So that, that was really my struggle was how do I succeed in both realms? And I found that time management for me was a solution. What did you go out to do better for you? How did you come up with your process? I think to some extent it was divinely given. I certainly started to pay attention to things like time management books or podcasts or seminars. And I remember my organization that I was, my employer paid for me to attend a time management workshop that was put on by like the Roane County Chamber, Roane Alliance, I think. And the quote that person shared was how you spend your day is in fact how you are spending your lives, which is a quote by Annie Dillard that's been very inspirational in my business. And that was very powerful to me because I think for some of us, as we get older, we start to be connected with our own mortality and the true finite nature of our time. But I was learning this lesson at 29 years old and that was, that was very powerful. So I remember just, maybe I was always an entrepreneur 
because I saw the problem and I tried all the things to solve it. I tried every planner under the sun. I tried every app under the sun. And I remember one day very clearly I was sitting, I was actually in Rome County. I was working in higher ed. So I was helping adults go back to school. So I would sit at these job fairs or these education fairs. And I would just be trapped at a desk or at a table for four or five hours at a time. And I remember sitting there thinking about all the things that were mounting all the things that I had to do while I was chained to this table, hoping someone would come talk to me about a degree. And I had, we had marketing collateral that was pieces of paper. And so I took one of those pieces of paper and I just started writing down on the backside of it, a plan. Okay. I'm sitting here thinking about all the things I do, that I have to do. How do I put it in a strategic way so that I can accomplish it? And that was truly the impetus. That was the start. That was my first folding weekly planning sheet, which was the origin of my business, which is the origin of the name. Origami is the Japanese word for folding paper. And I grew up in a Japanese American home where there's a lot of emphasis on respect for the ancestors. So that was one of the reasons I chose to name the business Origami Day was to pay respect to that. And again, I feel that in some ways I was divinely given. So that piece of paper was really the start of it. And I started using this piece of paper. Then I created a companion tool. Then people around me started saying, oh my gosh, this works. Then I attempted to pitch it in what's the big idea. And then it just continued to snowball. I think a lot of us are working to try to find a solution, but we're so busy with work. We don't have time. Or when we do something, we go look at an app and to your point, they're mm -hmm. so complex or they just don't fit. But complexity is part of the problem. And you're right. A lot of times we have the solution and we just, we have so many demands on our time, so many things coming at us each day that we're, we don't almost get the space and the time to solve the problem. And for me, I had in some ways, I guess, a gift of time. It wasn't necessarily free time because I was being, I was at the mercy of the education fairs, but I was also trapped at a table for hours on end. And my job was mostly to sit at the table and talk to someone should they show up. So I had a little bit of time to use. How have people uh, that you have worked with now, what are the things that you're seeing that they're struggling with? Number one is mindset. So it's the realization and the choice and the commitment to manage their time differently. I hate to sound callous when I say this, but I know right away who I can help and who I can't. And for as much as there are wide ranges in my customer demographics, the number one consistency is I can only help people who are willing to take control and take ownership. The people with a victim mindset who feel that they have no power and no control within their actions, there's not much I can do for that person. Because what I think we often forget is we have a lot more choice in our day. No, we don't have choice in every single last thing, but we have a lot more choice than we realize and we control so much of our outcomes. So that's really the first most critical thing. I tell people that really success, in my opinion, whether it's in time management or business or something else, is a simple two-part formula. Part one is mindset, part two is habits. And so I always focus on those two pieces. But if someone doesn't bring that mindset, that openness, that, that ownership, then it's very hard for me to teach them any habits. Let's expand on that topic of mindset before we get into the habits. I'm, I'm with you on that. What drives us to be successful are our habits, but those also what limit our success. So I think for me, I also once had a fixed mindset and a victim mindset. And there's a lot of research around fixed mindset and growth mindset. Fixed being that we think we're born with everything that we'll ever need to succeed and we can't get anything more. Growth mindset 
being that we can always learn, we can always grow, we can always expand our mindset. And I think there are many of us who somehow end up in this fixed mindset, but perhaps it's the growth mindset in me that we don't have to stay there. We can get out of that. Again, during my recovery, I spent so much time learning, going out into the world and finding the resources. And I think that fostered that growth mindset in me. And that helped me realize that I can solve this problem. I looked for the planner or the app, but what I ultimately realized was no one knew what was best for me and my time better than I did. So I just had to really put my mind to it and figure out the way to solve the problem. Um, so I think, at least for me, that was how that mindset played into it was this growth and this expansion and this pushing the boundaries of what I already thought that I knew. And in that realizing that there was so much I didn't. And I tell people all the time in that same vein, entrepreneurship, starting a business, being self-employed, one of the best gifts that it gives to you each day is what you realize you don't know. And for me, I learn every day one thing that I didn't know. And then the beauty is that I also get to learn that thing, learn how to do it or what it means or how to adapt it to my life. So I think perhaps that's really what I have found is the key in that mindset space is the willingness to learn and the openness to, to ownership and to accountability and to how much we control our days. That's a, a great distinction there. As an example, in my office, I have lots of books and I have I will say I've read the vast majority of the books, meaning I've at least skimmed them because I was looking for something new or something I didn't have a perspective on. And then some books I actually study because it is there's more there to it. And I want to learn from that. But the next big jump is turning that into actually doing something, which is that habit or how do you unravel a habit that is holding you back from doing the new thing you need to be doing. How do you help or how do you see people making those changes? So there's a lot of the mainstream resources out there, Atomic Habits and pretty much anything that James Clear touches, I'm probably going to encourage people to pursue. But for me, before Atomic Habits was in my realm of knowledge, I believed in what I called self-trickery. So I was very aware of which habits were formed in me and which ones could be manipulated. So for example, I was a chronic overachiever and I said yes to everything. And I, I consistently overbooked and overextended myself. So in the pursuit of work-life balance and better time management, I stopped using digital calendars and I stopped using calendars that had lots of space in each day. So I really started using calendars that were a one inch square for the day so that when I put five things in that one inch square, I was maxed. I was at capacity. So it was this, it was this way to physically put boundaries around my, the realistic boundaries of each day in a way that, that sort of forced my hand. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> I forced new habits, mostly because I knew that if I just asked myself to do better, that couldn't. It's, I think it's great just to put it into day-to-day -day terms. It's like someone who's always brushed their teeth and realized at some point in their time in their life, they need to start flossing. The key is when you go to brush your teeth, put your floss before you go to bed at night, put your floss on top of your toothbrush. So you yes. see it first, leverage the habit you have or put constraints around it. There was a great story when the world was trying to get people to stop smoking, they mm -hmm. did all these public service announcements and all these things that did nothing. It wasn't until the, the, the tobacco was put behind a case 
and you had to prove your identification, you prove your age, you had to do all those things, did it start reducing? So it was like, okay, these habits are hard to break. What can you do, as you were saying, how do you force yourself into a space that you can't get out of? Yeah, um, and that's what James Clear would now call friction. He thinks okay. that what helps us to break those habits is friction. Mm -hmm. So if you don't wanna come home from work and just sit and watch the TV, put the TV in a place that you'd have to physically move it to watch it or make it unplugged or take the batteries out of the remote control, create more friction so that the undesirable habit is more difficult and the desired habit is easier. Absolutely. It's interesting how much we are creatures of comfort and creatures of habit and how really, if we start manipulating the little pieces how much control we have and how much we can truly rewrite. But again, that goes back to, but if we don't care to, if we don't want it bad enough, if our mind isn't in the right place, it doesn't matter. And that's why people go outside to get people to help them to do these things, because oftentimes it's the repetition that's coming back. And I think it was Tony Robbins who once said in one of his early days when it was audio tape was this element of, it's like buying a piano and you have it tuned. You're going to have to bring the piano tuner back and retune it and retune it until it finally settles in. And as human beings, we're that way too. That habit in our brain is the brain science identifies and neuroscientists really talk about is creating new pathways. We have to mm -hmm. create those new pathways. And it's not until they become established as the preferred pathway, we want to revert back to the old one. Yep. We need to take advantage of it. Synaptic pruning is what that's yes. called. Yes. So. Okay, good. <laughs> so with that, clearly I did, I did a lot of research and habits when I started this business. What's interesting too, is this is where I really lean on digital reinforcement. So a lot of people I think are weary of my business and my teachings because I am very pro paper, but I let people know all the time that I'm not anti-tech. So I am very big on hybrid not just hybrid in terms of digital and analog together, but I believe work remote, remotely versus work in the office. Like I, I'm a big believer that like hard and fast rules, solid distinctions, those can be really difficult. If we can stay nimble and we can see the value in all the different sides, then we can really be more successful. So one of my favorite applications of this is I encourage people plan on paper first because you'll have those boundaries that we talked about, but utilize digital reinforcement to pick up where paper leaves off. So for me, one of my, the pillars of my business, my teaching and my better lifestyle is taking time every Friday to make a plan for the next week. That was a habit I had to build. And one of the ways I encourage people to build that habit, if it's not something they're doing is set a digital calendar reminder to go off every Friday and remind you to make a plan for the week to help build that habit. And so it's, there's so many ways we can manipulate the habits if we are willing to overcome the friction for the wonderful promised land. You talked about the analog and the digital. And, and I was fortunate in my first management position, the gentleman I worked for, when he first put me in that role, he really required me every, well, number one, every Friday, to your point, every Friday before the end of the day, I was sitting down to plan what was based upon, what did I learn from this week? What did I need to do better? What did I need to stop mm -hmm. doing? But put it into a plan so that I knew what I was doing the next week. And yeah. then each day there was that review. And then I think maybe for the first three or four months I worked for him, he called me every day to say, okay, what did you go over today before you go home? Let's talk about that. And then every week it was the Monday morning. It was like, hey, what did you do Friday? What did you cover? And what do you, what's your plan this week? And so that discipline was really important, but because he 
required it, it happened. Years later, when we moved into the digital world, and what I found personally for me, when I went digital, I started keeping longer to-do lists. And, and I started thinking I could get more done because I had this electronic system to remind me to get it all done. We brought up the hybrid. It wasn't until just even just a few years ago, I think probably sometime after your presentation, I went back to just writing things on paper for my weekly plan just to mm -hmm. say, okay, this is realistic what I can get done. And oh, by the way, I need to carve out some space based upon what else might happen. Absolutely. Love that. And, and I love your story about your, your supervisor. I think that makes me think about how where we sit right now today, Bob, there's everything that came before us had an impact on this moment, whether we realized it or not. And that was something that as I moved forward in my journey in the existential awakening and the realization that I needed to make a change in the infancy of what this product could be and what this business could be and in its growth, I am re regularly reminded of something that happened years ago, an experience, a person or something that now seems so applicable or so foreshadowing or so, I don't know, just intentional that then meant nothing. It was just a day-to-day -day practice habit or person. Now today, fast forward years later, I realized that I would not be in this position if not for that supervisor or that coworker or that person who just gave me an opportunity. And I think that's such a cool thing. If we are living a peaceful life instead of a frazzled life, we get to realize and appreciate that stuff. You brought this up and Paul Sponsi on another podcast that we did made, made a point of that one decision or that one yes, moment. I listened to that episode. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Paul was awesome. And, and like you, you had that one moment, but you made a decision out of that moment to lead you down this path that has really not just impacted you, has impacted so many people, including me. So tell me more about what you do today. Today, <laughs> I am so lucky that I get to do a lot more of not just what I like, but what I think has the most value. Like many people, I think in earlier stages, especially of a startup, we take the work we're given. And it's not until farther down the road that we get to be choosier about it. I am finally at the place, I guess, officially five years from the impetus of the business and three years after going full-time where I get to be a little choosier. So much of my time now is focused on training teams, speaking at events, and really just helping individuals, much more the services than the products, where I am helping people to have that awakening, help them realize what is their version of my surgery and what should they do with it? And then giving them tools and tips so that they can rewrite their days and shape their time for the lives they truly want. So much of what I do is educating and empowering people and teams to be present in life while being even more productive. I like that, the word awakening. It's that element of, of recognizing I didn't know. And there is yeah. something out there and it is better than what I have, or there's hope for better than what I have. Mm. But you hit that point of saying their surgery, that's their motivation, that they know something has to change for them. It goes back to that mindset. If there's something that they connect with so deeply, their why, then they're willing to do so much more. If people have a driver, if they have a driving goal, a driving feeling, a driving vision, a driving something, then they're more likely to overcome the friction. Why do you think people have such a hard time saying no, or what have you seen? And then, then what have they been able to do when they start learning to say no? And start with you. I mean, you, learning to say no was a big change for you. 
Absolutely. So I remember so clearly in the post-surgery times when I had had the awakening, I was planning every week in a strategic way that helped me maximize all the tools and hacks and best practices. And I was getting a lot more done. And my boss was seeing this and she was ready to start putting more back on my plate. She'd been very good to me during the recovery. And that was a really lovely thing, but she was, I think, ready for me to pick it back up to my normal high output sort of level. And I had some autonomy in my schedule. So I'd come in early that day at work and I was planning to leave early to go to my nephew's cross country meet. And I remember she came in and she said, Hey, we have a walk-in. Can you handle this? Now past me would have just been like, okay, sure. And I would have put my family and my life on the back burner and I would have put work first. And I don't know where it came from, but I just said to her, no. And she was like, okay, cool. Not a big deal. I'll see if Jacob can handle it. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're allowed to say no. The world still turns, nothing crumbled to the ground. And I think for so many people, it starts with the realization that no is not a bad word. And that no is a complete sentence and that, oh my gosh, we're allowed to say no. And so that was the biggest thing I think that helped me. And I think what I try to impart on other people is this realization that you are allowed to say no. You have every right to say no to things. If you're not comfortable saying no, one of my favorite things I learned from another Knoxville business owner is you can say not now. Give yourself a little space, give yourself a little breathing room. And that I think has been so powerful because here's the other harsh reality. When our time is finite, which it is, it's limited. We don't know how much we have and we only have a set amount each day. Because it is a finite resource, it's always a trade-off. So saying no to something, saying yes to something is in fact saying no to something else. So we have to choose what we want to say yes to by saying no to other things. That's a great perspective on things. And it's that element of another individual I know to your point when someone comes into his office and says, hey, I want to schedule a meeting, his first was, what about? And then the second one was, and what do you expect from me? Oh, I love that. I always found those to be really valuable in just even my own thinking. When I start to do something, well, what's this about? What do I expect from me? (laughs) I believe in pushback. I think we should give a healthy amount of pushback. One of the best lessons I learned while pursuing an MBA was every meeting should have a PAL, a purpose, an agenda, and a length. And I request those typically before I accept meetings is I want to know what's our goal here, what's on the docket, and when does it end? And this is another reason I love digital reinforcement is I encourage people to always send calendar invites when they confirm meetings, not just with the start time, but also with the end time. Because I think a lot of times we focus on when do we have to get there? Because we're probably rolling in on two wheels from some other meeting. So we're really focused on what time do I have to show up? But we don't think about the importance of let's communicate the expectation of when this concludes. Because there's something called Parkinson's Law, where our activity expands or contracts to meet our time domain. So if we know we have an hour, we're going to dawdle and get the stuff done in a full hour. But if we have 30 minutes for that same meeting, we'll get it done in 30 minutes. We'll just work more efficiently. And you did the same thing with me when we were talking about this podcast. Practice what I preach. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) So that's awesome. What are maybe some of the thoughts, ideas that you think someone who's really starting down this path of trying to improve either their productivity or finding more time, finding more balance in life, whatever it is they're focused on, some thoughts on what they could be 
starting to think about or just maybe perspectives for them to start building? Gosh, I could talk about this for another four hours, but I guess the immediate places things would be, I'd encourage them to think about the formula that we already talked about, that before they focus too much on the habits, they should really consider the mindset piece. Why do they want to do this? And also realizing that we've taken our entire lives to get to the place we're at right now. So it will take more than one course, one book, one podcast, one planner to rewrite that life long script. So I encourage people always to give yourself a little bit of grace in that area and realize that small steps forward are still steps forward and trying to throttle the the goals and the expectations of yourself so that you are able to truly take it one step at a time. Those would be some of the disclaimers that I would offer. And then I would tell people, start making a plan on paper every Friday. And you will be surprised how quickly that will change your life. And then start thinking about saying no more frequently. One of my favorite authors, Greg McEwen, the author of Essentialism and Effortless, he says, if it's not a heck yes, it's a no. And that's, that thought has revolutionized my life. Whether it's pizza or clothes or how I spend my time, if it is not a, an emphatic heck yes, it is a no for me. And I think that's just wonderful because life is too short for mediocre. And I would say starting with those things is really a great place. And then I could probably rattle off several books or podcasts or other resources that helped me in my journey that I would encourage people. So some of that mindset is what we're putting into our ears and what we're listening to and what we're hearing in the dialogue and the monologue that we're having each day. So encouraging people to surround themselves with the things that will, that will help them versus hinder them would be another important part. So you have the references, the materials and such. How do people find you? Me. People can find me at origamiday.com. I have all the social channels at my origami day. I'll be honest, I don't spend a lot of time on social, less and less each day. But my origami day does have, there's tips on Instagram, there's tips on LinkedIn, there's a, some past podcast appearances on YouTube, things like that. I try to really focus on what will help my customer. So that would probably be the easiest way is the website or some of the social, but origamiday.com would be a good spot. Excellent. We've had a couple touch points over the last five years, I think since the first time we met. And mm-hmm. I've just seen even with you in that time frame, this point of being really busy to being intentionally busy on the things that are important. And mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference between those two. And again, just compliment you, but how has that affected your life as the person you are today? Yeah. And thank you for the compliment. I joke with people that as someone who runs the business that I run, where I'm in a hundred percent in the space of time management and work-life balance, I can never be late and busy is a bad word. And so I have to really embrace that lifestyle, but I'm thankful. It was like, again, self-trickery that if I run a time management business, I'll always have work-life balance. But I think the other thing, I hope this answers your question is I think a lot about the phrase on purpose. And I can't remember where I heard this, but I love the concept of on purpose in two facets. One is that my time is being spent on purpose. What I do is on purpose. It is intentional. It is, I hate the idea of killing time or wasting time. Our time is too precious for that. Everything that I do is intentional and unfortunately, probably strategic just because that's my personality. But then on top of that too, I like the thought that 
I am working in alignment with my purpose. Why am I here? What do I believe God has for me to do? And am I also spending my time in that way? And so I think when I regularly reflect on those things and I regularly think about those things when I make my plan every Friday, then it helps me to say, heck yes to the yeses and no thank you to the things that are not those things. And I think that's what has shifted me from saying yes to everything, feeling more busy to being extremely intentional and balanced and more productive than ever before. And I think, why not? Why not? We just have this one wild and precious life. And it is. And I extend that out to businesses. You only have this one business. You might have multiple business, but you only have one business that's doing this. And being There will only ever be one origami day. And being on purpose, having that business on purpose and doing what and having everyone doing what they're doing on purpose makes a difference in in your customers reception of you your employees respect and reception of you and in how all the things work and so when there are challenges because there always will be whether it's a business or individual if you stay on purpose you can make better decisions to your point i can say i know what to say no to mm-hmm. no when i know when i have an emphatic yes this is a heck yes let's do this or sometimes a managed yes, because it's what we need to do. Not mm-hmm. easy to do, but it's what we need to do. And that yes could be, we need to say no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think, Bob, one more thing on that is I think that so much of what we're doing is because we're in the school of fish and we're all flowing down this river. And sometimes what we really need to do is swim upstream and we need to go a little counterculture. And I think that we're afraid to do that when in reality, sometimes doing a little bit of that and going against the grain and doing maybe what is not within the masses can sometimes have extremely positive outcomes if we're just brave enough to try it. That's a really good point. I'm, I do all say I, I do a lot of, but I've, I've done some trout fishing. And so you're in streams and you're fishing. For, and most people think that you're swimming downstream. Trout are in streams and they're always pointed upstream, but they're sitting behind the rock waiting for the right piece to come along. They're not trying to jump out and eat everything that comes down the stream. They're waiting for the right meal because they're trying to be efficient. They're trying to, they, they jump out and go, oh, this is the right size fly worm, whatever it is coming down to the water at them, bug, whatever it might be. And then I think life is pretty much the same thing. And to your point, if we're always just looking downstream, we're not, we're missing the opportunities that are coming to us. But we're able to step back and basically say no to a lot of things. Those other things, when they have, when they appear, we actually recognize them and we can say, heck yes. Yeah, and we're in a better version of ourselves to manage them, to address yes, them. We're yes. not frazzled and burnt out. We're ready. So any final nuggets that you would want to share with someone? I guess if I've got a captive audience, I'll get right back on my soapbox for just one minute. And <laughs> I will remind everyone that you are allowed to have a life in which you are both present in your days and productive and busy can sometimes be a bad word. It's not a badge of honor. And when all is said and done, how you spend your day is how you spend your life. And you can be peacefully productive. And I truly believe that it's choosing to do that and then building the habits that will enforce that type of lifestyle. So I I guess those would be my nuggets, my encouragement and the habits and plan every Friday. 
Samantha, I just, what an amazing discussion with you. I know people are going to love this. I get a lot out of it every time we talk. Again, just kudos to what you're doing and the path you've been on. And I know that you're out there helping people because we all need it. So appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you, Bob. I've always appreciated you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to get on my soapbox in this podcast. I love the soapbox because it's a great one. Thank you, Samantha.